this overwhelming love for him. It was present. God loved me. Like he saw me. He knew me. He healed me. This is the unseen story. First-hand accounts that reveal the supernatural reality of God's love. When his love leads, a remarkable story follows. You're listening to part one of Tete's story, Keeping a Promise. The Unseen Story is a nonprofit that relies on financial support from listeners like you. Please visit our website, theunseenstory.org, to find out how you can partner with us today. In 1997, I had no hope to live. I didn't even know that God existed as a person. I had the idea of God, but not as a person. And I even was completely ignorant that he would love me. And that truth just was enough to shift my entire life. So constantly I invite myself, or I I don't know if it's the word, but I, I, I put myself in a position where I don't lose sight of that. The first ever service that I went to a local church on my birthday, it was a Father's Day, um, and I entered a very conservative church uh, with a miniskirt and flip-flops and a top that it wasn't too pious to be at church. Um, but at that service, something happened. I, could, I couldn't stop crying. I just knew that he saw me. And it didn't matter how it looked like. It didn't matter that at that point um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was 17. It didn't matter that I had no connection with my dad. And when I would see it, um, I would throw up. That's how bad my relationship with my dad was. Like Literally, physically, will just feel the need of gagging. Um, nothing of that mattered that service. I just was in that bench with other 60 people hearing about the father and that word meant nothing to me at that point but somehow God drilled all the layers of my heart as a teenager and encountered me there Um, at the end of that service the person who was preaching which I had no idea what was a preacher or anything this is my first ever encounter with anything related to church uh, I was secure that I was attending a sect or something like that, a cult or something weird. And then he said that if someone was sick, should go to the front. <laughs> and I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. So I saw myself walking to the front, which is completely out of my character for that age. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. So picture the small church, me with my extremely short skirt and my umpire stop walking to the front of this little church with other three or four people. And my eyes were wide open. Everybody was closing their eyes, but that was my first time there, and I wanted to see everything and whatever they want to do. I wanted to have my eyes, and I locked eyes with this guy. And he started praying for everybody. And then he looked at me, and he started rebuking death. Um, I remember how odd was that to me. Uh, I have never being exposed to anything like that. And I even looked to the back of me thinking that someone with that name was behind me. And I was trying to, is he talking to me? Is he talking to someone else? Um, That was a Sunday. 
And then on Wednesday, every week I was attending my doctor just to follow appointments. And the next Wednesday I would be submitted to surgery. And they were planning to do a mastectomy just to purchase a little bit more of time on the treatment that I was having. Um, I wasn't supposed to have a mastectomy yet because I was 17 and you're not supposed to have one that young. But my case was so weird that they were trying just to go out of the book. I was admitted at the hospital to, to, to proceed with the surgery and the doctor who was just checking on me um, said, you have nothing. And that started a journey of 17 hours in the hospital and submitted every kind of test until after 17 hours, um, I was clear up. Um, and they weren't able to explain what was it. When I was walking out of the hospital, I bumped into the nurse that shared with me the gospel, which was my neighbor. And I tell her what happened, and she literally in the entrance of the hospital starts screaming and dancing and say, Jesus, heal you. And at that moment, I just knew it. All the 17 hours before, I think I was just doing the math of how much I'm going to leave. Until that point in my life, being 17, every month was just doing the math. Is this, is this month another month that I'm, I'm going to get to leave? I never pictured myself plus after 20. I never planned where to go to, to college. I never, I never planned to be married. I never did any plans because I knew I would die soon. So that was the first time that I actually contemplated the possibility of having a life. And she's screaming in the entrance of the hospital, saying, Jesus, heal you, doing a show. And for the first time as a teenager, I'm not embarrassed. I'm dancing with her. I just got it. Jesus, heal me. Um, and I just fall in love with him. My file in the hospital looks like the Bible. It's this high. It has tests for five years, and they have, like, the heads of oncology have seen me for several years at that point. I, I walk into a hospital like it's my house. Everybody knows my name. Everybody, like, every, everybody was familiar with me. I was bleeding out of my breast. Um, the pain is horrible. You feel like you're burning alive. Um, I couldn't wear normal underwear because just the the touch, I couldn't be driven in a car because the movement of a car would be too painful. So they were extracting the breast, planning to extract the breast just to control it and try to tack, tackle this area. Um, for 17 hours, they sent me, to, when the first doctor, which is now my main doctor, says, You're, you don't have anything, I don't feel anything. They call my doctor, who is not in the hospital, to come and I, they did mammographies, blood tests, ultrasounds. This is 17 hours, me in the hospital thinking I'm going to die tomorrow because they, they did tell me before the surgery, if we open and it's too much, we just close. We won't do anything. So I'm thinking, no one is telling me anything. So I'm thinking, I'm that bad? Then it's not even necessary to open up. Um, so they just have me from room to room and tests are people, nurses are coming in and coming out. Uh, finally, like 10 hours after they sit me with a bunch of doctors and they're interviewing me. What do you eat? Where did you go? We have a nuclear reactor in my, in my town. Did you visit the nuclear reactor? Like, um, so I'm literally trying to memorize my, my last appointment was a week before. 
Wednesday before. So I'm memorizing. I'm trying to recall what I ate day by day and who I visit. And, all. and at some point I said, and I went to church. And what church? Did they put something on you? Did you drink something? Did they give you a magical pill or whatever? Um, and they didn't have an explanation. One of the doctors did say, whatever you prayed to was able to do in a week what we weren't able to do in five years. I did remember that. Um, as, med, as doctors, they, they just have to go stick with facts. So they just said, we're assuming that it was a psychosomatic expression. We can just discard cancer because all your, your, your file. So we're going to keep you monitor. monitor um, and I would keep going for um, a year and a half to weekly appointments because their fear was that it would um, it had been um, recess, um, receipt. Is that how you call it? And then it would, um, there's another word, um, metastasis, it will metastasize. Uh, so they were monitoring constantly uh, every week. And then after the first year and a half, it was every month, and then six months. And then I keep doing every year just a monitor, just to follow up. Uh, that was 23 years ago, thank Jesus. Um, and I just fall in love with him. I read the Bible probably in the next two months. I will wake up in the middle of the night with this incredible thirst, and I wanted to know more. And everybody who I knew knew more Bible than me. It would be severely interviewed because I wanted to know more and more and more and more. Um, that didn't set well in my family setting because um, we were we were in that radical Catholics, but Catholicism in Mexico, it's more a tradition, a family legacy other than a faith. So if you're saying I'm checking out, you're basically saying I'm rejecting my family tradition. So when I start attending church and my mom will wake up in the middle of the night and will see me reading my Bible or praying, she would freaked out. And then the miniskirts fly away. No one asked me to do anything. No one told me that it was wrong. I just stopped feeling comfortable in those clothes. And I went from partying a lot. And by partying, I mean going to parties. I wouldn't drink or do drugs or anything. I would just try to escape from the fact that I was sick with cancer and I might die to just being home, enjoying being home. And all this need of um, putting anesthesia on me just, it was release. Um, but my family wasn't happy. And um, within a few months, I had to um, move out of my house. And accept that my I would see my uncles or my aunts on the street and they wouldn't say hi to me. Uh, I, was, I had to start working because I needed to live by myself and pay a rent. And, and, and what we call now adulting, I had to do that at 17 while while doing life with Jesus. And honestly, now that I see it and I say it, I, I, I raise both of my eyebrows because it's wow. But at that point, it didn't matter. I, I don't remember having seen myself as a victim of anything that was happening around because this overwhelming love for him, it was present. God loved me. Like he saw me. He knew me. He healed me. Um, and the more I would read the scriptures, the more 
clarity will have between the experience that I had and the person that he was, it was so matching. Like, yeah, every, I would read every chapter of the Gospels and I would say, yes, like, yeah, like, exactly, yes, this is, this is it, this is the person. Um, my mom uh, attended church with me for, I want to say, a month and a half. As soon as attending church translate into some sort of relationship with God, it made it real uncomfortable. Because in our mindset, religion is supposed to be left at church on Sundays. So you go, you do your thing, you close the doors of the church, and you do life. So at her eyes, I was a fanatic. I was becoming a fanatic. And then it, it was, I understand how scary it was for her because she lost control of me. For first time in my life, I went from being a really submissive daughter to challenging what she would say because the Bible said something different or God didn't say that. So I understand now how scary it would have been. And this is, an, again, it's a cultural difference, a gigantic cultural difference when your parents are having full control of your life. It doesn't matter that you're 17. And it, it, it was hard. It, it, was, it was hard because now I understand through her eyes as a mom, she was protecting me uh, from what she thought um, it was bad. But what I had experienced in that hospital door was too big to be ignored. Um, so somehow I read Peter saying that he must obey God above men. And that's the way that the Lord used to carry me all those months, the first months of me being a believer. So yeah, I, I, I would say that my mom attended to church but never had an experience to Jesus until a few hours before she um, was receiving heaven. Be sure to come back Friday for the rest of the story. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what He wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share his stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website at theunseenstory.org. 